Thanks again so much for joining us for our last episode today of Temptations Common to Men and Women. We're wrapping up our discussion with the women's group on temptations. And I wanted to take a little extra time to delve deeper into topics of like comparison and potentially vanity and a really, really big controversial, but very real biblical issue, the topic of submission. So we pray that God uses this opportunity to allow all of us to be humble and learn from each other's experiences. And once again, we thank you for learning with us. It's, uh, I've often mentioned before that, um, you know, I think the things that you're most inclined to count obsessively are the things that you have potentially like idolatrous power in your life. And that could be money in the bank, that could be scores on a test, mm -hmm. that could be a number on a scale, or it could be uh, calories. And it's not that's not good to manage these things. Like it probably should, if you're managing your money, you probably should know relatively uh, how much money you have. But when it becomes like this all-consuming number that drives your overall sense of self-esteem, and I think the ability to not be able to say like, okay, I have to fit society's perception of something or a guy's perception, or even my own, like I get to determine my worth based on what I see in the mirror, because that would be a form of like vanity potentially too, which we'll get to as well. But I think that the general idea that like, well, this is God's body. So like stewarding it. So you can have either extreme that isn't healthy, like obsession with it or absolute rejection of taking care of it. Uh, do you think it's, is it fair to say that women have more pressure in society regarding this kind of physical presentation that men do or not so much? I don't feel it as much, okay. I guess, but I also like I also work in a place that I literally go to work in my pajamas, like sweatpants, <laughs> and then put on another pair of sweatpants basically and scrubs, yeah. which has been termed nurse syndrome. So that has led to different areas of like that has led to maybe sloth in the way that sure. I appear as well. So to me, I don't feel the pressure whatsoever. And it's also but... possible society has shifted on that a little bit too. I think of like, if you think of like 1950s America, there was a certain like perception of having things together. And I think both right. for men and women, mm -hmm. that's maybe changed a little bit and it's become more casual. I think things are becoming more natural. Yeah. Like, you know, makeup is yeah. in my view, like kind of taking a step back and mm -hmm. you know, the elaborate dress as well. I think everything is kind of casualizing. Yeah. And going yeah. natural yeah. versus you have to like look this certain way. Sure. It's definitely a time of like be yourself. Whatever yeah. yes. that is. It's yeah. like authenticity mm -hmm. goes a long way. Yeah. I feel like guys have it a lot easier when it comes to presenting like Chris gets ready in like five minutes and looks great. Yeah. And then <laughs> it takes me like 30 um, <laughs> if I don't want to walk out side looking like a sloth right <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i don't but i mostly like if i do um get dressed up or whatever it's for myself and chris right like yeah i'm sure he gets tired of seeing me in pajamas five days a week so when we <laughs> go out you know like i'm yeah. sure it's pleasing to him but i also like fashion and clothes and yeah. yeah i love playing with it i change my hair every two days right yeah but yeah between something but it's just I enjoy it. It's not so much mm -hmm. to present out into the world. Again, amount of time and amount of money that are spent 
male versus female in regards yeah. to overall physical presentation mm-hmm. is is kind of lopsided. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get into a little bit more what that is too. Uh, another topic I want to talk on is the issue of gossip and comparison. And um, when I was talking to guys about this, um, one of the things we talked about is the concept of like bullying, but bullying with guys can come in a number of ways, but there is a unique level of like physical dominance hierarchy um, so like when, uh, even like when a young man hits puberty versus when another does, and you get a lot bigger, a lot stronger, a lot faster. And, uh, in things like locker rooms or the playground or sports, it just becomes so apparent and there's a dominance there. Uh, I think it's, I'm sure it's to some extent that way, um, with women, but I think there is usually a higher verbal IQ and verbal intelligence especially in young women versus young men. Women are just a little bit more accelerated there. And so the bullying sometimes comes in the form of uh, like verbal nastiness, talking behind somebody's back. Um, Social media didn't start this. It existed long before social media, but it's been like, it's it's created a weapon for it. Uh, And I think just some statistics I wanted to share with you real quick here. In millennials, women are significantly more likely than men to feel one, anxious about important decisions, it's 47% to 33%. Two, uncertain about the future, 45% to 34%. And three, sad or depressed. That's uh, over a third of them versus less than a fifth of men. And a lot of it seems to be related to comparison and uh, talking to one another or about one another or social media stuff or whatever else. And uh, like the anxiety rates of millennials and Gen Z are just significantly higher. I got to believe that has something to do with social media. Mm-hmm. Any reactions to, you know, I think comparison makes us miserable. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Is it avoidable? And how do we foster a godly self-image in young women during those formative years? I don't think it's avoidable. I think that we are sinful human beings and that is something that is manifested in comparison. I always think about Adam and Eve in the garden. They sin and then they're naked and they know that they're naked. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of that first step into just like not feeling adequate, you know, comparison, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, So I don't think it's avoidable at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's good. With Adam and Eve, you're right. There's a sense of like vulnerability mm-hmm. after the fall into sin, like, okay, and everybody can see my inadequacies. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that hugely. I think in and of itself, the word comparison can be very neutral. Mm-hmm. I am looking at someone else and I'm recognizing there are differences. There yeah. are differences of mm-hmm. season of life, physical appearance, gifts and talents, struggles, um, whatever it may be. But when it becomes dangerous is what meaning am I assigning to that difference? Am I assigning that because we look different, I am less than, or because you have a family and I do not, I'm behind in life, or because you're more blessed financially than I am, then God isn't giving me what I deserve in this season of life. And so I think depending on the meaning we assign to that difference as we are comparing, that's when it can become damaging to anxiety and depression, feeling less than, feeling Mm -hmm. unloved, unlovable, um, not enough, um, which of course, I mean, that's a horrible cycle for Mm -hmm. depression, anxiety, and ultimately that leads you to feel that God's abundance is insufficient for you. And there's 
so much lacking in your life, which you are really receiving from God. And, and then it creates this feeling of separation or feeling isolated from God. And mm-hmm. social media, I mean, it just gives you at the flick of a finger, you can find a thousand reasons yeah. to feel that you're less than and that you're not getting what you deserve from a loving God who does know exactly what you need. Yeah, yeah. Social media is one of those things, I, I think, it's same thing with just the internet in general. I think 30, 40 years from now, there will be uh, like legalities and laws attached to it that we will, again, I think we'll look at it uh, 30, 40 years from now, the way young adults look at like chain smoking today. <laughs> and it's like, wait a second, you this was just a normal behavior that you let people, you, you yeah. let like a 10 year old have their own. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it's not that, and it's again, it's not that the medium is inherently wrong. And I, I appreciate the fact that you said, it's not that comparison, uh, is wrong. It's that when you use comparison to assign value to yourself or devalue or, you know, somebody else, rather than just saying like, yeah, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a redeemed child of God. The best thing I'll ever be is a child, redeemed child of God. Mm-hmm. And whether I'm, you know, richer or poorer or more beautiful or less beautiful, it doesn't mm-hmm. affect any of that. But when the world is constantly telling me otherwise, when they, it's always fascinating to me that social media, every social media platform has an approval button on it, you know, like a like or a heart or a thumbs up or a, why do they have to put an affirmation button on it, you know, like so that it drives up this. And I think, you know, I think without it being sinister, I think social media creators know what they're doing. Like that creates an addictive quality to it that like I need, I desperately crave the approval of others or a verdict from others. Mm But if you're not finding that verdict from God, it doesn't matter how many likes or clicks, you're just never gonna find it. Mm-hmm. What do you think is a positive pattern for, now again, you ladies are at a point where you're a little bit more comfortable in who you are as a person, solidified in your personality and who God has made you to be. But if you're going back to, again, a 12 or 13 or 14 year old version of self, what kind of advice do you give or what would you give for your own children when it comes to things like social media? So I have an 11-year-old girl, and I was just thinking as you were talking about this, about my own behavior with her. Like mm-hmm. when we were in church, she was bouncing around, had her head down, and I'm like, you're too old for this. And I'm like, other kids your age could sit there and watch this sermon, and you're flopping around like a teenager. And I did a comparison of yeah, her to sure, other kids other without kids. even realizing. I yes. just thought about that now when you asked yes. this question. <laughs> um but fortunately, she's like, God is is in her. So she doesn't take too much weight to it. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important that as parents or just, you know, anytime we have an opportunity to influence our youth is to help them fill their cup, like fill their space, knowing that they are worthy and that they are children of God and that they are redeemed. So that when they see these other things that we could covet or become envious of um, through comparison, Instead of coveting or being envious, we can celebrate the successes of our friends and family or people we see online or, hey, that's cool. I'd love to try that. I feel inspired, feel motivated instead of decreasing like how you feel about yourself or having a a negative response to what you see. So just helping them to know that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll show you this last thing quick. This is how I knew she was cut from a different cloth. I used to (laughs) like discipline her. And she wouldn't seem to have really a response to the discipline. And I'm like, what the heck? And she goes, I understand you're mad at me, but Jesus loves me and he forgives me for my sins. 
and I'm okay with that. So mm. I'll sit here till you say I can come out. And that used to <laughs> infuriate me because I'm like, I wanted you to be like sad that I yeah. disciplined you. But she yeah. like early on found like her worth is yeah. by Jesus. Uh, she'll obey her parents, but she did not count on us to define her self-worth. That's great. Um, and I think we didn't have anything to do with that. Like that was not at work. But now seeing it, I would say the more of that we can do with kids at that 11, 12, yeah. 13 year old, it mm -hmm. sets a good foundation for how they respond. Uh, I, I actually really liked, again, I've never actually heard this before, but what you said about, um, so generally speaking, I think I've heard a lot of the parenting advice being just keep kids away from social media until whenever. And, and, you know, there's different parenting theories on that, but mentioning the idea of like, well, what if we teach our kids to celebrate the good things that they see in somebody else's life? Like, I, that's a thing I, I honestly don't know that I've ever heard a parent articulate before is like, yes, we are as a family going to celebrate the victories of other families and going to be just as happy for them as if it happened to us kind of thing is I think is a cool way to look at it. Mm -hmm. I also think, you know, you mentioned something else important about um, the comparison factor is not always just like from me to that person, but it could be like my family to that person's family or the way my kids behave versus the way that person's kids behave. There is an element of illusion in social media, I think, that is like we're going to run something through one of 50 filters. Uh, we're, we're not going to have a picture of our kids misbehaving. We're going to have a picture of our kids all smiling and mat in matching outfits. Mm -hmm. And if it is of them misbehaving, it's going to be some kind of quirky thing that I put on TikTok mm -hmm. that is like, oh, look how look how imperfect we are in a beautiful kind of way. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it just is this eye roll of endless. You get to curate what you want to present to the world of yourself. And that's by definition, it's not real. You know, so I think it, it absolutely has a place and a power and, and for people staying connected. I just think it's uh, teaching kids to understand what is reality versus what isn't, what their real value is in Christ versus what is not in comparison. And then again, that point of like celebrating the victories of others is um, I think a, like a golden mm -hmm. concept. So we're going to circle back to two kind of last points that are similar to ones that we've addressed before, but a slightly different angle. I want to just circle back because this has been a, I'm obsessed with like biblical themes that like it's all the way throughout the Bible. It's just consistent. Uh, one of them that is fantastic to me in how like it common it is, is the power of female beauty. It's otherwise intelligent, faithful, powerful men just like become completely stupid uh, when it comes to something like beauty. And I, I think at times women maybe even leverage that, you know, because it's, a, it's like a commodity that you can control through. And so it's Jacob and the story of Rachel and Leah. It's Samson with Delilah. It's David with Bathsheba. It's Amnon and Tamar. It's Esther, where she actually does use it for good. Uh, again, I think in historically male-dominated societies, women sometimes look at like beauty or or femininity as a commodity that gives them power or control over men. And I understand why. We mentioned the amount of efforts that women seem to have to put in in comparison to men. And it sounds just exhausting. Do you think we're, and you maybe alluded to this earlier, do you think we're evolving beyond the objectification of women and pressure on women to look and be a certain way? Or do you think we just have a ton of work still to go? It's interesting because even more so than trying to assert beauty 
over another person. I've kind of almost seen it go the other way. There's almost this like glorification of being a hot mess yeah. nowadays, <laughs> like leggings, bun up, dry shampoo, hot yeah. mess, don't care sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And it's funny because I can see either of those mentalities, you know, striving for beauty or glorification of being a hot mess. Yeah becoming like wearing a badge of honor yeah right it's like wearing a badge of honor of look at all that i've put into my body the time and the money and i know that I, that can be a tool to my advantage yeah. or it can be a badge of honor of well look how much of a circus and a chaos my life is and i'm i'm such a hot mess but look at all that i'm doing yeah so it's yeah. almost like i see that a little more nowadays sure. it's like that whole like hot mess Again, this this overglorification of chaos and being casual, but it's glorifying what you're able to do, yeah, and not what God has done for you. So I think it can just become a badge of honor on both yes. ends too. Yeah. So there's a balance between, again, maybe stewardship of self and vanity of self, like somewhere somewhere in between there. I think there's a struggle also in. You know, I definitely leveraged my looks early on in my like youth or, you know, whatever, five, <laughs> 10 years ago, I'm not that old. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in order to like back myself away from those temptations, I definitely became the sloth, the hot mess, sure. you know, where I wanted to, cause then no one was interested in me. And then I stayed away from those temptations. Well, now I'm getting married and I have to, reoriented my my mind to be like you know you I really appreciate that you said that you're like well I want to get dressed up because mm -hmm. my husband sees me in my PJs you know five days a week but I get to dress up for him and myself I have to relearn how to do that because yeah. I've been mm -hmm. like a sloth for so long I think there's a difference between the motives of why you're the way that you dress, the way that you put on your makeup, the way you do your hair. I'm a very analytical, practical-minded person. To me, it's practical to be in, you know, leggings and tennis shoes mm -hmm. and comfy clothes because I'm out doing stuff all day. I don't want to be click-clacking around. Don't want to be spending 30 minutes putting on makeup. So yeah. I think a lot of it is like the motive and drive behind why you're doing those things. Are you glorifying God with those motives? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting the like notion of how far we have to go um, as far as objectifying women. Yeah. A long way to go, but on both ends, right? So like you, I've used my looks to my advantage. I still do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Trump card that we can pull out every once in a while, yeah. Well, and it's, it's easy at work, you know? Like yeah. I train a lot of adult men in sales and they listen to me a lot more than they'll listen to another counterpart who yeah. maybe they're not objectifying as much. Sure. I use it to my advantage. I have better training classes, higher scores, <laughs> I get paid more, you know, all yeah. of those things. Um, but the thing is, if I don't want to be objectified, then I probably shouldn't contribute to it in that same sense. Uh, but I live in this culture where yeah. it does work to my favor. So when I get ready to go out like to a training class and I'm standing up in front of an audience, 
I look good and I put on my best smile yeah. and work my way through it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's we we do have a long way to go. I appreciate your, your uh, all your honesties on that. Again, I think the at the end of the day that okay, so my body is not my own. Uh, it belongs to God, and therefore, if it it's like the most valuable uh, physical thing He's given me in the world. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it makes sense to take care of it but not take care of it to use to like necessarily my own advantage, but take care of it to use to glorify him and serve others too. It's interesting because I can justify it in my mind though too. And I yeah. I'm like, as we're having this conversation, I'm like, I really need to reevaluate this, you know? Because <laughs> right. like in my mind, if I'm yeah. doing it and I'm like, all right, I'm not doing my job necessarily. Like yeah. what I get from doing my job, I'm then able to turn around and put out and do good, Yes, you know? But that's yep. just justifying it in my mind. Like some serious self-reflection probably needs to happen across the board. Well, <laughs> I'm glad we're having the conversation. <laughs> I know. No, it's it, it's so baked into social interactions. Yeah. Um, I, I personally don't think that, so I kind of teed the question up as, do you think that we've evolved much as, hey, but yeah. I don't personally think we, we have evolved much. I think we shift from what we define as beautiful. And I think we find certain things empowering at certain stages. But at the end of the day, throughout the history of mankind, it seems like there has been like this disproportionate power for women at times to leverage their female attractiveness to men and men, because they know some men become powerless over it. And in a society that seems like it's dominated by male power at times, you look for any trump cards and any advantages you can get. And I think especially when you're talking about like, okay, what do we train young women with? I think thinking like, yep, God gave you your looks. God gave you your body. You are supposed to steward it Mm -hmm. to his glory, but you don't want to lead others into temptation. Uh, You don't want to necessarily manipulate others in in unhealthy Mm -hmm. kinds of ways. And finally, the, I mean, I forget who said it earlier, but the idea of like, but I'm gifting this, God has designed for me to, if I get married, to gift this to one specific individual. And therefore I want to do the best I can, you know, mm-hmm. for that person. And, uh, but again, I think it's like this selflessness of it's not about me or what I get out of it, but what glorifies God. Mm-hmm. The last issue circles us back to the first issue. So we, the first issue, we were talking a little bit about feminism and stuff like that. And I alluded to the fact that, okay, so in the world, we teach our little girls growing up, like you can do anything. You can be do anything that a boy can do, you can do. And again, sometimes there's almost an added pressure to that, like, you should do everything that both a boy and a girl can possibly do. Uh, and it's like, it becomes, I, I think, an almost unfair burden at times. But then the the real difference is you get into the Christian church and then you start hearing about things like, it's all over the place. It's Genesis 1 to 3. It's 1 Corinthians 11 to 14. It's Ephesians 5, you know, which is read at pretty much every wedding mm-hmm. where different uh, exhortations are given to husbands and wives for love and respect. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, it's... Like that whole like flat out where it talks about like male headship thing when you get into the realm of church and Christian relationships. I think especially in America where we have this really core belief of personal autonomy where like I am responsible to myself. I answer to no one but myself in a way that like the Eastern hemisphere doesn't quite talk the same way. We love our individuality. I think the idea that so there's there's a like a maybe a conservative community that has cut off some of the spiritual gifting of women in the church for many years. And to me, I would describe that as like if you cut off half of your body's ability to operate, um, that is like somebody who's been physically impaired. 
you know, if you can only use half your body. And the church shouldn't be physically impaired. We should be using all of God's gifts. And yet there's slightly different roles. And that word submission is one that fits in there. And I think sometimes it seems scary and regressive and, and oppressive. So I'm curious how your personal uh, experience of that concept of like uh, how a godly woman understands submission or male headship uh, in modern times, what does that look like? So I grew up in a very kind of topsy-turvy household. I grew up in a household where the female was extremely dominant. Mm -hmm. The leader of the household, the leader of the finances, the leader of the vocation of both of the parents, and then mm -hmm. a very sort of submissive male leadership. So mm -hmm. that's what I thought was normal. And that's what I thought I should be doing. So mm. in every relationship, and even with Alex and I early on in marriage, I would assume dominance over money decisions are just silly things, how you would run your household, because I hadn't ever seen anything yeah. different. And I always kind of saw within a marriage, at least, equal roles mm -hmm. like i'm like oh we're, we're equal we're created equal we're made equal but equality doesn't mean we have the same exact roles and functions yeah, within yep. a partnership and so learning that and i think just like taking a break from working and staying home and not bringing in finances which is what i always saw my mom doing growing yeah. up i mean there were many temptations for me to think I was worthless. I wasn't contributing because that's mm. what I saw was this female dominance in a household mm -hmm. growing up. So it's been very humbling to realize, no, our roles are not equal. Yeah. Like Alex is designed to be the leader of our household. And with me yielding to that role and understanding that it's not being less than, it's contributing differently, it's allowed him to be in a role that he's designed and very equipped to be in. So I think that just understanding that our roles are not created equal, it doesn't mean one is greater than or lesser yeah. than. Yeah. The Christ-centered partnership is designed to need both. That's yeah. why the design functions the way it does. But I really, really struggled with not being so dominant yeah within, and even in friendships too i would find myself doing sure. that and so i think there is a fear of your needs getting lost yeah if you be submissive in some way but i think if you're in a truly trusting christ-centered relationship you are both placing the other's needs above your own mm -hmm. and so you know that if you are placing their needs above your own and they're doing the same for you both of your needs are going to get met. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So submission, I mean, it's a really touchy term. Yeah, obviously. yeah. So, and I mean, I've seen like both ends of it. And yeah. I've really had to reconcile what I thought it meant and really to like step into God's design for it. Yeah, yeah, well put. Yeah, and you're right. The, I think a lot of people, uh, even in Ephesians 5, where it, it says, okay, wives submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord, and then says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Sometimes people miss, or like right before that section, and there's actually a very non-helpful divider in a lot of Bibles that says, okay, now this heading is wives and husbands. The line right before that, the verse right before that says, Christians submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So like both men and women are doing this idea of putting the best interests of another ahead of self. Now that happens a unique way in marriage, but 
it's not that women exclusively do this. Mm -hmm. Men and women both are supposed to be thinking about the other ahead of self. And in fact, when men do this, following the pattern of Christ, like Christ is putting his own uh, health and wellness uh, underneath um, the health and wellness of the church. And so it's it's a unique concept, but yeah, other ladies did this. I always ask in premarital counseling, which, uh, you know, I always ask, okay, the, to the, you know, female, tell me how this strikes you and let, I want you to go first and feel free to speak for, you know, openly and, and safely. It's definitely been something I've struggled with going through premarital counseling or just, you know, working up towards getting married. Um, I'm a very, I'm an alpha female. Um, it has been, it took me a long time to like, feel like I found someone that I could even eventually, yeah. like I always was praying for a leader, right? That's what the Bible tells you, you know, the man's gotta be the leader. Um, and that was like very hard for me. Like I wanted it, right? But it's it's hard for you to find someone that's suitable in that capacity. I think that the trusting portion is really difficult because I most of the time think I could do it all better. <laughs> um, but I have found a lot of freedom in submitting. I also think that I, you know, the promissory one woman, she did work, she did bring in income, she made investments. I also think it's cool that God lets women have those roles in society where you could be a boss or a CEO or have a higher position in society, but then you can come home and you can relinquish all of that responsibility under your husband. I think that is something that is really awesome that God designed for a marriage, but very hard to do, mm-hmm. uh, especially the way that we're raised these days, mm-hmm. what society is saying. Uh, it's something that I think women are just going to always be struggling with, um, mm-hmm. but definitely something that we got to work towards. Yeah, I like the way you put that. And I, I think also the more Christ-like of a husband that you have, probably the more natural it feels to like, yes, if they're going to live like Christ, in other words, yeah. Christ lived and died every day for the glory of the church ahead of himself. If you have a husband who like demonstrates that overtly or or for that matter, a male leader in a you know a different way in a church setting mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, if it's like, yeah, he's not trying to take advantage of me, he's not trying right. to rule over me, uh, he's a servant leader. Right. Um, it's that much easier to follow the lead of a Christ-like type of leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think that's also, uh, you know, one of the ways that we approach it in premarital counseling too is in the relationship between Christ and his church, you notice it, they don't just meet up together simultaneously. Christ pursues the church. And so he acts first. Mm-hmm. And so there is a responsibility that a husband would uh, first, be the one to lead with grace and patience and forgiveness and humility. And in response to that, uh, a wife would be able to say like, yes, you are my spiritual head and leader, you know, because I trust you. There's a trust fall in it. What has been maybe the most, or, or maybe this is hard to answer, but in your, again, evolution of thinking about this concept, because I'm certain I, I have to believe, especially, you know, each of you women have a little bit of a alpha mentality or i don't think you would have agreed to do the talk honestly like a like a dominant like you know i think there's a level of courage that comes in being able to speak uh and so i I, i'm thinking that okay as you're 16 17 18 and you're hearing Mm -hmm. these concepts about like submission and like externally you're saying like yes i see that's what the bible says internally you're like 
terrified because what if somebody takes advantage of this? What has been helpful in, in seeing this whole concept as loving, not hurtful uh, along the way? Is there anything? Gosh, I can imagine if this was live, Chris would be like this. We see my <laughs> definition of yeah. two submissive, yeah. right? Because he always calls me a rebel uh, <laughs> every day. But I think, um, and just through the sermons at St. Marcus, that really helped to reconcile like what that word submissive means, mm-hmm. right? Like in my head, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean like the tactical level of he has to be the one to go out and work, yeah. right? It's more of like spiritually, yeah. I trust mm-hmm. him to lead our house, right? Yes. Like to pray for our children, to help guide me in in prayer as well. Um, he could be a stay-at-home dad for all I care and still lead the house with helping to make some of our bigger decisions yeah. and things along that line. So if at a younger age, we could help young adult women understand, yeah. like it doesn't have to have this negative connotation, right? Like we have this worldly definition that we've put on it. Yeah. And, you know, before you get into a marriage, look for someone who is going to be like Christ, who would yeah. die for you, who yeah. would live and die for you every single day. And you'll want to follow them. You know, yeah. you'll want to follow them to the ends of the earth and back. Yeah. Yeah. And how you execute on the day-to-day tacticals, none of that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's just a formality, but mm-hmm. that's probably what I would say to a younger mm-hmm. self. It's always hit me that, so like my wife and I, I, I don't know that we, either one of us uh, neatly fall into like traditionally like male or female, like leadership or, you know, servant leader, servant helper roles. Uh, My wife is very assertive, very bold, very, and I tend to be a little bit more like go with the flow and don't necessarily want to assume leadership if I don't have to. And, (laughs) and uh, it's interesting how many guys too, uh, I know that, you know, you go back to the first sin and Adam and Eve and, and Eve, yes, eats from the tree, but she immediately gives fruit to Adam, meaning he's there. He's just not leading the way he was the one that was told by God, you shall not eat from this tree. And he's just not leading the way he's supposed to. And I think my impression, at least, is that a lot of women are scared that there's going to be a guy that is like domineering in leadership. But actually, I think the way I see more women get hurt is by guys who just completely neglect any form of spiritual leadership in the home. And so, I mean, I don't know, in talking with young women too, like, no, you want want a husband who... Uh, is willing to be a leader, but a Christ-like leader is yeah. is ideally what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, any other thoughts that you would like to share with anybody at home or, you know, again, young women who might be uh, listening today? The biggest thing that would have helped me would have been uh, just like steady Christian mentorship. Yeah. Definitely like earlier yeah. on than, you know, like I didn't really take my my spirituality like i didn't take my faith seriously until college yeah and i had already a slew of mistakes and sins and all these things that probably could have been avoided with correct maybe i'm not um disclaiming like my parents at all or discrediting them but just like really finding like really good christian community friends and accountability and just like mentorship i think that is Something that the church could do better at overarchingly mm-hmm. um, is like, you know, the older women teaching the younger women, mm-hmm. but just to find someone that is going to steer you in a very godly direction mm-hmm. and uh, that helps you yeah. a yeah. lot. I think there's huge power in hearing from those that have gone before you yeah. and mm-hmm. truthfully, 
I wish someone would have had the courage to call me out yeah. on some of my behaviors within mm -hmm. these temptations that we've been talking yeah. about. I didn't have, whether it was family or friends, I didn't have anybody who was willing to call me out in mm -hmm. a loving way and lead me to the truth and what God has to say. And so I think right. not only equipping young women to recognize choosing a suitable partner and how to curb social media use and temptations, but also teaching them how to lovingly guide others mm -hmm. back to Christ. Because if we're doing that to everybody, mm -hmm. someone's going to do that for them too someday. So I think there's a real benefit in learning how to lovingly call someone out yeah. on some of these behaviors and some of these temptations. And if someone would have done that for me, I mean, like you said, Christian community could have made a huge difference in being able to take back and be able to have more gifts to give yeah. in terms of each of these areas. Yeah, excellent. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate that. The, uh, the So any young ladies listening or whatever at home, the future adult Christian version of yourself would have wished <laughs> that you were more active in church, that you had more people looking out for you, that you maybe even had more people calling you out on stuff at times. And I think it's very easy in life when you're young to look at the concept of church as just something I kind of have to do mm -hmm. or something to check off. And it's like, no, it's actually protecting me and, and formatively like shaping me into more into the image of Christ growing mm -hmm. up. So appreciate your input and your honesty and uh, enlightening conversation today. I'm gonna ask any one of you or all of you to lead us out in prayer today. Does anybody uh, wanna jump to the front of the line on that? Would anybody like to do that? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen here. Dear Lord, this is a prime example of why we were designed to walk alongside one another in this life, to have individuals who understand that we are striving to walk with you, to listen to you, to hear your voice, especially as women in each of these areas of temptation. We understand that there are many gifts that you have given us that were different as women, but we also understand that that can also bring about unique temptations and circumstances in which we can fall away from you or are led to believe that we are isolated from your love and from your presence. I pray that you can gift women with Christian community and gift them with individuals that will support their walk with you, not only in the sense of walking alongside of them in life, but also having the courage to lovingly point out um, when they are straying from your path. I'm also grateful to be able to have these conversations because I pray that there can be no more taboo topics, that we can equip young women, we can look to other people that have gone before us, and ultimately to you, Lord, to your truth. And understanding that over all of this, your mercy will carry us and endures evermore. We love you. We want to honor you with our bodies, with our minds, and with our spirits. Please give us the strength to honor you in every capacity, and please take away any other motivations that we may have to nurture each of those areas of our life, Lord. We are grateful for you. We love you, and in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you very much for the conversation, ladies, and uh, helping drive this conversation ahead for our congregation. Much appreciated. You have been listening to Scripture Over Social Media. We hope you learned something new and are growing to appreciate all of the unique dimensions that make up God's family. 
There are many ways that you can support this new ministry, and I want to make sure you know where to look and what to do. The easiest way to support is by subscribing to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Apple, Google, Spotify, pretty much anywhere else. We should be there. Simply search for Scripture over social media. Also, be sure to follow us wherever you like to stay digitally connected. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Search for Scripture over social media. There you will see the behind the scene posts, photos, stories about each topic that we dive into. If you're enjoying the episodes we share, these are the perfect places to let us know. Simply like, comment, save, share with a friend, and don't forget to hit the follow or subscribe button so you can't miss what's coming up next. You can also give to our home church, St. Marcus Lutheran, so we can continue to produce this podcast. To make an online donation, simply go to tinyurl.com slash Give. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash Give. Make sure you put in the donation notes that you'd like to give to this podcast. And last but not least, your prayers are always appreciated for our efforts. We are looking forward to sharing our next episode of Scripture Over Social Media with you. Thank you so much and God bless.